Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. That's Judges chapter 16, beginning to read at verse 4. Sometime later, Samson fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, See if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so that we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. Samson answered her, If anyone ties me with seven fresh thongs that have not been dried, I'll become as weak as any other man. Then the rulers of the Philistines brought her seven fresh thongs that had not been dried, and she tied him with them. With men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the thongs as easily as a piece of string snaps when it comes close to a flame. So the secret of his strength was not discovered. Then Delilah said to Samson, You have made a fool of me. You lied to me. Come now, tell me how you can be tied. He said, If anyone ties me securely with new ropes that have never been used, I'll become as weak as any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and tied him with them. Then, with men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the ropes off his arms as if they were threads. Delilah then said to Samson, Until now you have been making a fool of of me and lying to me. Tell me how you can be tied. He replied, If you weave the seven braids of my head into the fabric on the loom and tighten it with a pin, I'll become as weak as any other man. So while he was sleeping, Delilah took the seven braids of his head and wove them into the fabric and tightened it with a pin. Again she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and pulled up the pin and the loom with the fabric. Then she said to him, How can you say, I love you, when you won't confide in me. This is the third time you have made a fool of me and haven't told me the strength, secret of your great strength. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was tired to death. So he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite set apart to God since birth. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me, and I would become as weak as any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her everything, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines. Come back once more, he has told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistine returned with the silver in their hands. Having put him to sleep on her lap, she called a man to shave off the seven braids of his hair. And so began to subdue him, and his strength left him. Then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord has left him. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and took him down to Gaza. 
Then, binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to grinding in the prison. But the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Let me add uh, my own welcome to that of Tim's. It is uh, very, very good to see you. You're very, very welcome indeed. And uh, as Tim has already said, especially if you're uh, new here or feel as if you're a bit new here, uh, welcome. It's good to have you with us. Um, Do please, if you would, turn to two things. Uh, One is uh, the Bible again. Uh, Susan read uh, so well for us. Uh, Judges chapter 16, page 259. And uh, the other thing that I think you'll find helpful, whether you like taking notes or not, um, is the uh, the sermon outline, the handout that I've had printed for us. Um, I think you'll find that useful to have so you can see where we're going uh, in the next few moments. That hopefully was inside your bundle of things as you came in. And uh, as you have Bible in one hand and uh, handout in the other. Let me pray for us now. Heavenly Father, we've uh, prayed, uh, sung indeed, that you would speak to us. We pray you'd do that uh, now. We uh, come to your word, words that were written uh, hundreds of years ago, but we pray you'd help us to see how they are as relevant for us today as they ever were. And we ask you to speak deep into the very heart of our lives, in Jesus' name, amen. Sometimes, um, deep down, I reckon most of us, that there's a, a longing for someone to, to turn up and sort out all our problems. At times we long for a kind of knight in shining armour to ride over the hill on a white horse and deal with the things that are out of our control or beyond our capabilities. If ever you've been at your wit's end, If ever you've wondered where on earth to turn next, if ever you felt overwhelmed by the the daily grind of the circumstances of life, if ever you felt that, whether you've verbalised it or not, you've probably longed for someone to turn up and sort it out for you. In those times, in in utter desperation, you may have cried out to God, praying one of those prayers that is far from polished, but boy is it sincere, God, please help me, just help me. Even those who are not the praying type sometimes find themselves saying that sort of prayer. You see, deep down we long for someone to sort out the things that are too big for us to cope with on our own. Facing exams that seem too tough. A future that seems uncertain. A job that appears too demanding. A relationship that we can't get right. Or or living in a world which feels very insecure or with bad health which doesn't seem to improve or of course the great threat our great nemesis, death. There are some things that are just too big for us to cope with. And in those times, we ache for someone to sweep into our lives and sort it all out. Someone who is strong enough and powerful enough to sort out the problems that we just can't deal with. Now, it is that longing that is at the heart of the Bible story of Samson. Through these summer Bible uh, Sunday mornings, we've been looking at the great events that are favourite Sunday school stories. Noah and the ark we've seen, Joseph and his coat, Moses and the bush, and in the following weeks, David and Goliath, Daniel and the lions, and of course, Jonah and the fish. Great stories we love to tell our children, but as we've been looking at them each week, we've been discovering they are not just children's stories, they are stories for big boys and girls. Well, look, as we turn to Samson and Delilah this morning, there is no question this is not a children's story. It's an episode you expect to see at 9 p.m. on ITV2. This is more Love Island than CBBC. 
Samson and Delilah is full of rippling muscles, passionate desires and racy moments of bedroom antics. It should be classified an 18, it's certainly not a U. To really understand what's happening between Samson and Delilah, we have to get the backstory and go to the beginning of Samson's life, which we find in chapter 13 of the book of Judges. Now come with me to chapter 13 and verse 1 where we read these words. Chapter 13, verse one, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. It's a pattern that's repeated throughout Israel's history, but very definitely in the book of Judges. Again and again, we read that Israel did evil in the eyes of the Lord. I put some of the references on the handout for you so you can chase them up later. The pattern is this, Israel turns away from their God. As a result, the Lord hands them over into the hands of their enemies until eventually they cry out one of those prayers of desperation, begging the Lord to deliver them. And the Lord is so wonderfully gracious that even though his people have ignored him and turned away from him, he answers their prayer by raising up for them a deliverer, a rescuer, a saviour, if you will, known as a judge, hence the title of the book. That is the pattern of the book of Judges. And here it is again, chapter 13, verse one. The Israelites turn from the Lord doing evil in his sight. The Lord turns them over to the hands of the Philistines, their great enemies. And so Israel is oppressed and in constant danger of being completely overrun by a nation of cruel barbarians. Israel is in a situation they can't get out of. The Philistines are simply too powerful for them. They need a rescuer, a deliverer, a saviour, a knight in shining armour to ride over the hill, someone to sort out their problems. On this occasion, the Lord is so gracious to them, he doesn't even wait for them to ask for help. He doesn't even wait for that desperate cry, that prayer from the heart. He just steps in and gives them Samson. Chapter 13, verse 2. A certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was sterile and remained childless. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, you are sterile and childless, but you're going to conceive and have a son. Now see to it that you don't drink, you drink no wine or other fermented drink and that you do not eat anything unclean because you will conceive and give birth to a son. No razor may be used on his head because the boy is to be a Nazarite, set apart to God from birth and he'll begin the deliverance of Israel from the hands of the Philistines. You see it there, last line? He'll begin the deliverance of Israel from the hands of the Philistines. The saviour from the Lord is to come to them through a supernatural birth. And his mother is told that uh, the child is to be a Nazarite. The Bible book of Numbers explains the Nazarite vow. In short, it was a a commitment that anyone could take to express their singular desire to be completely devoted to serving their God. And that commitment was to be evidenced in three ways, by not drinking any wine, not touching dead bodies, and not cutting your hair. So if your Jewish friend had very long hair, took a very wide berth when encountering roadkill, and only ever ordered soft drinks when you went out to the pub together, you might well have concluded he was a Nazarite, devoted himself to the, God, to, to the Lord. That's what the Lord wanted of Samson. Born to deliver Israel from the Philistines, the Lord gave him superhuman strength to do the job. 
And in the chapters that follow, we're given examples of just how strong he was. In chapter 14, a young lion attacked him, and verse 6, the spirit of the Lord came upon him in power so that he tore it apart with his bare hands. At the end of chapter 14 and verse 19, the spirit of the Lord came upon him in power and he struck down 30 men. And then in chapter 15 and verse 14, the spirit of the Lord came upon him in power and he struck down 1,000 men. Incredible. Well, as one writer says, these were the days when weapons were simple and all fighting ultimately depended on brute strength and stamina. The author of the book of Judges doesn't say that bullets couldn't have killed Samson, merely that he was, in terms of physical prowess, a prodigy. He had a supernatural gift. So when you picture Samson in your mind's eye, you might imagine a man with muscles on his muscles, a bodybuilder like Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sylvester Stallone, Jean-Claude Van Damme, or Eddie Hall. Eddie Hall, you know him? Currently holds the, the, the title as the world's strongest man following the annual competition by that name held this year in Botswana. Picture him with thick ropes over his shoulders, pulling behind him a fully laden 40-ton lorry. Samson may well have been that kind of build. Samson was strong. But be sure, it wasn't his daily workouts in the gym and it certainly wasn't his illegal use of performance-enhancing drugs that made him so strong. No, every time we read of the remarkable strength of Samson, we're told exactly where it came from. I put it on the handout. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power. Samson was God's strong man. Exactly the kind of deliverer Israel needed to overcome the barbaric oppression of the Philistines. That said, as we read on, we discover that Samson is far from being the fully devoted, spirit-filled man of God that we long our heroes to be. Apart from his superhuman strength, chapters 14 and 15 show us that he had a warped sense of humour and I would suggest a thoroughly immature temperament. He loved riddles. I don't have time to go through all the verses with you. Again, I put them on the handout for you so you can chase them up when you get home. And if you do read them when you get home, you'll see Samson didn't just tell bad dad jokes or have a penchant for cryptic crosswords. No, his joking around caused others considerable misery and left a trail of resentment behind him. Samson was a, a thoroughly childish and irresponsible fool. He was a hothead, not the sort of man you'd warm to and not the sort of man you'd want in any diplomatic crisis. I mean, if someone threatened the nation by, shall we say, firing a nuclear missile towards your territory, someone like Samson would not pour the cool balm of carefully chosen words that would calm down the situation. No, you could imagine him tweeting explosive threats and using menacing rhetoric that would cause the whole world to feel very nervous. I mean, I can't imagine that sort of situation happening, but <laughs> Samson would be that kind of fellow. Samson was an irresponsible, proud man. And when the strongest man in the world has that kind of temperament, no one feels very safe around him. So he was strong. He was a proud hothead. And then there's one more thing we discover about Samson. While he was physically strong, he was a moral weakling. And especially when it came to women. And while the story of Samson is not primarily one to be moralised, we can't read it without seeing the danger of an uncontrolled sexual appetite. Look at how chapter 14 begins. 
Chapter 14, verse 1, Samson went down to Timnar and saw there a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I've, I've seen a Philistine woman in Timnar. Now get her for me as my wife. He saw and he wanted. It's a very immature approach to life. He's like a child who always wants whatever has taken his fancy and he wants it immediately. It is no way to live life and it's certainly no way to conduct relationships. Samson treated women like objects that could be acquired. Without putting too fine a point on it, he wanted instant gratification of his sexual appetite. Uh, Look on to chapter 16 and verse 1. One day, Samson went to Gaza, where he saw a prostitute. He went in to spend the night with her. See, chapter 14, he saw and he wanted. Chapter 16, he saw and he had. He spent the night with her. And you and I know that they didn't spend the night playing Scrabble. Samson is like a bull on heat. His hormones are buzzing, and he seems unable to control his... No, let me change that. He is unwilling to exercise any restraint and self-control. He certainly doesn't look like a man devoted to God. And it is this weakness, his failure to control his rampant sexual desire, that is his downfall. As sadly it has been for many men throughout the history of the world. And so is it any wonder that we read chapter 16 verse 4? Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And if you're still following on on the handout, we're over the page now. We've seen him already with women. He saw and he wanted, he saw and he had. Samson had never been used to waiting for anything he wanted. He's impetuous and as a strong man, he always seems to get what he wanted. And now he wanted Delilah. Granted, this time it was probably different for Samson. We're told in verse four, he fell in love. Delilah grabbed his heart like no other. And that is very significant to understanding the events that followed. Verse five, the rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, see if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so that we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. Verse four, Samson is in love with Delilah. Verse five, Delilah just loved the prospect of getting rich. Notice the detail, end of verse 5. Each one of the rulers were willing to pay 1,100 shekels of silver. It's a huge amount of money multiplied by all the rulers. You could probably have purchased a whole team of Neymars for this sort of cash. Delilah has just won the lottery and some. 1,000 shekels of silver was a fortune and they were all prepared to pay 1,100, more than 1,000 each. This is big bucks. Delilah was a gold digger who just stumbled upon gold reserves to rival the richest nation. And Samson was a lovesick teenager in her hands, or at least he was like that. He was like putty in her hands. And that is one of the things that makes this whole episode thoroughly believable. I say that because maybe as Susan was reading it for us, Any uh, first and swift reading of the events of chapter 16 can lead us wondering if it is not all a bit far-fetched. Delilah says to Samson, verse 6, tell me the secret of your great strength. Verse 7, Samson gives her an answer. If anyone ties me with seven fresh thongs that have not been dried, I'll become as weak as any other man. 
Samson plays with Delilah. It's a game to him, like one of the riddles that he so loves. And then verse eight, the rulers of the Philistines brought her seven fresh thongs that had not been dried and she tied them with them. Uh, With men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you, but he snapped the thongs as easily as a piece of string snaps when it comes close to a flame. So the secret of his strength was not discovered. And it happens again and again. Verse 10, Delilah said to Samson, you've made a fool of me. You lied to me. Come now, tell me how you can be tied. He said, if anyone ties me securely with new ropes that have never been used, I'll become as weak as any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and tied him with them. Then, with men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the ropes off his arms as if they were threads. Delilah said to Samson, until now you've been making a fool of me and lying to me. Tell me how you can be tied. He replied, if you weave the seven braids of my head into the fabric on the loom and tighten it with the pin, I'll become as weak as any other man. So while he was sleeping, Delilah took the seven braids of his head, wove them into the fabric and tightened it with the pin. And she called him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He woke from his sleep and pulled up the pin and the loom with the fabric. Now, I reckon most of us find it quite hard to believe that Samson would keep falling for it. Three times she tried it on. And we might be expecting Samson to ask, why, 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 Delilah? Thank you. Thank you. It's hard to keep believing that he would fall for it. But look, don't think that Delilah's series of attempts to get Samson to tell her the secret of his strength happened one night after another. No, this occurred over a period of weeks or maybe months. We'll see that later when we read verse 15 or 16. And then remember what we know about Samson. No, he fears no one. He is super strong. He is the undefeated super heavyweight of the world. And the Philistines have always been taken a beating at his hands. What's more, he loves playing games and childish pranks, so I can imagine him pretending to be asleep as Delilah wove his hair into some fabric with the loom. This is all believable, and especially when you remember that he is now in love. He was so infatuated by the physical attraction of this woman, he seems completely blind to the treacherous streak in her behaviour. The demands of passion blur common sense, Not that Samson had a lot of that in the first place. We say it, don't we? We say love is blind. The power of love, or maybe it was infatuation or lust, but the point still stands. The power of love makes men and women, for that matter, do silly things and make foolish judgments. Delilah has all the marks of a shrewd and clever woman, far smarter than Samson. She has him wrapped around his little finger, Now, if you're far too measured and sensible to have ever fallen for someone the way Samson fell for Delilah, then I'd better tell you it happened to me. As a lovesick teenager, on more than one occasion, I was so taken by the girl, I couldn't see what others said about her. I couldn't see that she wasn't the right one for me, and I did the most foolish things to try and get her. That's Samson. Driven by his hormones, he loved playing games, schoolboy riddles. He's very strong, he fears no one, and not least of all the Philistines. God has given him superhuman strength to defeat the enemy, so in his pride, he doesn't think anything or anyone will ever bring him down. This is not a far-fetched story at all. It's completely in keeping with his character. 
The whole thing rings true down to the the kind of silly games people play in relationships. Look down with me at verse 15. Then she said to him, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you've made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. Hear what she's saying and see if you recognize this in relationships. First there's the if you really loved me line. And then, you need to be vulnerable with me, Samson. Oh, Samson, women love vulnerable men. (laughs) Really, we shouldn't have any secrets between us. It's all there in verse 15. Please don't tell me you've never encountered that sort of argument in an unhealthy relationship. And then I love verse 16. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was tired to death. Yes, please. Keep the arms in, let's not have any of this. She wore him down with her words. As the Proverbs tell us, a quarrelsome wife is like the constant dripping of a leaky roof. Drip, drip, drip. And better to live in the desert than with a nagging wife. When we think about it carefully, this story is not far-fetched at all. This is real life. I've met many a man who's been worn down by his wife's constant nagging. Many men not strong enough to stand up to the daily grind of his wife going on and on and on. And so Samson cracked. Verse 17, he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I've been a Nazarite set apart to God since birth. If my head was shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as any other man. And when Delilah saw that he'd told her everything, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines, come back once more, he's told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with the silver in their hands. Having put him to sleep on her lap, she called a man to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him and his strength left him. And then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. There it is. The Lord had left him. It wasn't that his strength was tied up with his hair in some kind of magical way. No, Samson's strength was given to him directly from God, whether it was ripping apart a lion or defeating the Philistines. Each time it happened because we saw it, the spirit of the Lord came upon him in power. So when he deliberately pushed God aside when he broke the Nazarite vow, when he wanted the woman more than his God, well, then the Lord left him. His strength left him. And verse 21, the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes. It has a kind of poetic irony to it. It was, after all, his eyes, his, his wandering, lustful eyes that got him into so much trouble in the first place. He saw a woman he wanted. He saw a prostitute and he took her. He saw Delilah and he fell for her. If only he could have controlled his eyes, he might have been okay. And so verse 21, they gouged out his eyes and took him down to Gaza. Binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to grinding in the prison. It was a a punishment deliberately designed to humiliate him. Here was the celebrated hero reduced, reduced to doing the work of slaves and women. And while this is a terrible personal tragedy, and it is, there is a bigger problem still in all this. 
The one given to save God's people from their enemy was defeated. The one the Israelites longed for and needed to deliver them was an abject failure. You see, our hearts long for someone to step in and sort out our problems, and so often we want a strong man. And I mean, sometimes quite literally, we want a strong man. Take Russia. The majority of the the nation loved the strong man, Vladimir Putin. They really love him. Riding bareback, and by that I mean both the horse without a saddle and Putin without a shirt, showing off his well-toned torso. It's a quite deliberately staged photo op. Russians want a strong man to lead them. They love Putin for that. Never mind the political leaders we long for. How many women fantasize about having a strong man in their life? Come to that, how many men try to aspire to be that strong man? And suddenly we're back watching Love Island on ITV2. All the male contestants are tall men with perfectly toned bodies. What other kind of man would you want in your life, ladies? Certainly not a five foot six and a half weakling who can barely see over the top of the pulpit, said the preacher, (laughs) trying to hide his envy. We want a strong man. We want a strong man who'll negotiate a good Brexit deal or a strong man who'll bang in 30 goals for our team this season. We'll pay 200 million quid for him. He'll be our saviour. See, this desire for a strong man pops up in every area of life. When we think about our problems, we want a strong man. But this story tells us a strong man is not the answer. At least not the kind of strong man we so often picture in our dreams when we long for the knight in shining armour to ride over the hill and into our lives to sort out all our problems. The thing is, we are often so attracted to leaders who are outwardly impressive but not inwardly devoted to the Lord. Even in the church, we love great orators, extraordinarily gifted preachers, those who appear to have it all together and who show no witnesses. We love them. What we really need is someone devoted to the Lord. The sorry story of Samson tells us that, and despite all the failings in this story, as we look at Samson, we get a hint of the one strong man that we all really need. The truly strong man that God would, in time, give us. The saviour from the Lord, who also came to us through a supernatural birth, the one who was a Nazarene, the one who was truly and always devoted to the Lord, the one upon whom the Spirit of the Lord descended never to leave him, the one who was tempted in every way as we are, yet was without sin, the one who was strong enough to resist all attempts to corrupt his power when the devil came to him and tempted him, the one who had extraordinary supernatural abilities, yet always used them properly. The one who was sold for a bag of silver and the one who on the cross appeared to be defeated. You see, all the way through this story of a strong man called Samson, we are being pointed towards another one, the one who we really need, the Lord Jesus, who turned out to be the truly strong man the most powerful son of man in the universe. And as we begin to draw to a close this morning, 
It is perhaps at the very end of the Samson story that we see the strongest allusion to the saviour that we really need. For the story of Samson doesn't end with his daily grind in a prison in Gaza. Indeed, verse 22 gives us a delicious hint that it's not quite the end. Verse 22, but the hair on his head began to grow after it had been shaved. There's still another part to the story. And so verse 23, the Philistines met to worship their god Dagon to celebrate the way their god had defeated the one who the Lord had given to deliver his people. They sang, verse 24, our god has delivered our enemy into our hands, the one who laid waste our land and multiplied our slain. They were singing, but it wasn't the end of the story, verse 25. While they were high in spirits, they shouted, bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison and he performed for them. When they stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, put me where I can fill the pillars that support the temple so that I may lean against them. Now the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there and on the roof were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. Then Samson praised the Lord. O sovereign Lord, remember me. O God, please strengthen me just once more and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistine for my two eyes. Then Samson reached towards the two central pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself against them. He, his right hand on one, his left on the other. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And then he pushed with all his might and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than when he lived. The very moment when Samson looked the most weak and most defeated was the precise moment when he was most strong, defeating the enemy in death. Picture Samson looking so weak, eyes gouged out, a source of entertainment for the watching crowd. And then pitch him between those pillars. His right hand on one. His left hand on the other. And with the strength and power of the Lord, he defeated the enemy. It points us towards Jesus. The one who was mocked by a crowd, entertained as he was executed. At the very moment when he looked most weak, with his arms stretched out on a Roman cross, he was, in fact, in death, defeating the enemy and bringing deliverance for his people. Jesus, the truly strong man, Jesus, the saviour of the world, defeated our great nemesis, death. And one day we will see him riding victoriously on a white horse. Revelation chapter 19 verse 11. When he will take us to a place where we will never again long for someone to sort out our problems. Because there will be no problems. He will have dealt with them all. And taken them all away. He is the longing of our heart's desire the strong man that we all want, whether we realize it or not. Hallelujah. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to be honest with ourselves. Help us 
in those moments when we feel so utterly weak because we are, when we feel so desperate for someone to step in because that's what we need, help us to realise that we're often looking for the wrong answer even though we've asked the right question. And help us in those moments, hard as they are, to embrace them and to force ourselves to look to the Lord Jesus, the one who we really need to answer those problems. We pray that as we look at Samson, we would see something of the failure of turning to the wrong saviour and rather turn to the right saviour. And we pray that our Lord Jesus would be the one that we not only turn to, but that we embrace and enjoy knowing that he alone can give us what our heart longs for. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.